let's get into our main topics here, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campia Show? It's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your subject featured here as a main topic on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into it, shall we? And we're going to start things off with item number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Bryson, who writes, Hi, John. I just saw Pixar's announcement about their new short film, Burrow, uh, that is going to be released with Soul, the new upcoming Pixar film that is apparently still scheduled to come out in November. What really stuck out to me was how it said in theaters before Soul on November 20th. Do you think that Disney is sticking to that release date of Soul then, or do you think they will push it to a later date on Disney Plus? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, actually, we just talked about Soul uh, recently because when they announced that Black Widow was being moved, they also specifically said in that report that Soul was staying exactly where it was. They're saying they're keeping that thing on the November 20th date. Uh, this is the official news that came out about it, by the way. This comes from some Screen Rant who writes, Pixar announced that the Spark short preceding Soul is titled Burrow. Soul is Pixar's next feature and is set to hit theaters on November 20th. The film was initially set to premiere on June 19th, but they but Disney pushed postponed the film's release due to the, the theatrical closures surrounding the pandemic. While Disney has since pushed back the majority of its 2020 lineup to 2021, Soul is still set to hit theaters in November as intended. All right, that came to us from Screen Rant. So, first of all, uh, let me just say one of the things I look forward to most with Pixar movies and Pixar, listen, I, I personally think Pixar is the best movie studio out there, not just the best animation studio out there. I think they're the best movie studio out there. When you look at their track record, like they just crank out like incredible film after incredible film after incredible film with a few notable exceptions to that. Sure. Cars too, but but for the most part, they just crank out insanely beautiful, wonderful, heartwarming, entertaining, if good for all ages kind of films that I just love watching. They're fantastic. So anyway, they just announced, and by the way, one of the recent ones, Rob, I don't know if you've got a chance to see Bao, that short, the the, the one of the last shorts they did about the, uh, oh, dude, if you, you got to look it up, Bao. It's, it's, oh, it's I absolutely, oh, I loved it. I loved it. My, my wife coming up from the Asian background as well, she loved it as well. But anyway, they just announced this, this new one, Burrow. And they released a poster for it too. It might be on here. Yeah, this little poster looks great. You see all the other animals that burrow, and you've got all the animals doing stuff, and you got this little rabbit down on the bottom looking kind of, you know, uh, paranoid, if you will. It looks delightful. It's a Pixar short, so I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I think that's great. The real big question, though, is it comes down to will Soul even come out November 20th? Now, again, they did just say, oh, yeah, Black Widow's moving, but they made a point to come out and say, but we are keeping this where it is. As a matter of fact, there was a report a few weeks ago that suggested that Soul might move to Disney Plus, to which Variety said a Disney insider for them clearly refuted that, saying, nope, we have no intention of putting Soul on Disney Plus. So they're saying November 20th. And that's all well and good. That's fine. The problem, though, Rob, 
with that is with everything being as it is, dude, like with with the fact that we're seeing all these other movies move and all that kind of stuff, that was makes it shaky enough as it is. The fact that Disney also moved Black Widow, that's going to make it. And, and I don't blame Disney for making that move. They're just everybody's just trying to do what they can do to survive right now. But they move that that lessens the chances that movie theaters will even be open come November. Um, so I, I got to say, while I have in recent months been optimistic, like when a studio says, yeah, we're going to keep this date or that date, I've generally been pretty optimistic that they will. But I have to admit, despite the fact that Disney is saying, nope, we're keeping that November date, I, I'm just, I'm not sure that that's true. And I think them moving Black Widow and other films moving as well is going to make it even more difficult for theaters to even be open by the time Soul comes around. So I'm going to go out on a limb here, Rob, and say I, I'm not disputing what Disney's saying, I'm not saying Disney doesn't intend to launch November 20th. I'm just saying at this point, I doubt it. I, I doubt it's actually going to happen. Rob, when you take a look at the situation, what do you see? Look, uh, every time I look at the weekly box office totals for Tenant, I think to myself, there's no way they can release. Still number any... one, by the way, four weeks in a row. I, still number I, I one. Know, <laughs> I know, I uh, know. But it, you, you just look at it and the the, the economics don't work. Whether it's any of the Disney films, whether it's Pixar, whether it's Black Widow, uh, movies that cost $150 million, $200 million, you know as well as I do, they have to return $800 million, if not a billion. And they're expected to because the success of these movies isn't just to pay the production budget back and to make a profit, but it fuels – it's it's the, 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 the whole company's engine – are these movies and they'll play for years. Then they go into the Disney plus or they go on, you know, any kind of streaming or, or you can buy them and then the merchandising. So these films are fueling a much larger machine that has to continue to grind. And if, if they don't do well at the theatrical level, it brings the whole company to a grinding halt. It's not good for anyone. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta tell you though, I, I must admit that I am, while I am skeptical, that they can actually release Soul on November 20th, especially in the light of moving Black Widow away. Mm -hmm. uh, very selfishly, I really hope they do. Because I, I I've gone to the th movie theater, not counting drive-ins, I've gone to the movie theater twice in the past six months. <laughs> um, I went to go see, had a very good time going to go watch um, New Mutants, even though you know the movie didn't turn out to be as good as I was hoping it would be. And I got to go see Tenet. Uh, but I, I would really love to go back to the movie theaters again. I would love I to would go back too, and man. see this too. So I don't know. I, like I said, I just I'm doubtful it's going to happen. I'm th that's Me just, too. just doubtful. Question is, guys, what do you think? I love the look of this burrow short. By the way, I think this is going to be great. But I doubt we're going to get to see it on November 20th along with Soul. What do you guys think? Or maybe you guys think more positively, saying, "Look, Campia, they they had an out to say that we're moving it, but they've decided to plant their flag and they're going to keep it on November 20th." That would be great if it does. I have my doubts. What do you guys think? Jump into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Big Guns, who writes, Hey, John, Aldous Hodge, who was in the new Invisible Man movie, which is fantastic, by the way, in case you didn't see it, has been cast as Hawkman for Black Adam. What are your thoughts on the casting? And by the way, I, I do think this guy is great. What are your thoughts on the casting? And does this get you more excited for the film? 
Thanks. All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, this little piece of information dropped a couple of days ago. Uh, Aldous Hodge, who I really don't know much beyond what we saw him in uh, Invisible Man, in which I thought he was incredible. He is apparently going to be in the new Black Adam movie playing Hawkman. This comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter, who writes, uh, Aldous Hodge, who starred in City on a Hill and appeared in this year's remake of The Invisible Man, has nabbed the high-flying role of Hawkman in Black Adam and is now in final negotiations to join New Line's action-adventure thriller featuring the DC Comics anti-hero starring Dwayne Johnson. And, it will, and we'll talk more about Dwayne Johnson a little bit later. An enticing factor for fans is the introduction in Black Adam of the Justice Society of America, a multi-generational group that preceded the Justice League, characters Adam Smasher, to be played by Noah Centrino, uh, as well as Dr. Fate and Cyclone, who have yet to be cast, will figure into the story. All right. I got to tell you, first of all, Aldous Hodge, I got to say right up front, I do not have a large enough sample size in my own repertoire of his work to really give a firm opinion on what I think of him being cast as Hawkman. I, I just don't have a big enough sample size yet. All I've really got to go on is his work in Invisible Man. So take everything that I'm going to say with a grain of salt that I'm completely just basing this off what I saw of him in Invisible Man. But I loved Invisible Man and he was one of the reasons for it. He brought a charm to that, like it, that juxtaposed a lot of this horrific stuff going on in this girl's life in Invisible Man. And he juxtaposed this charm and this strength and this stability in it. He had some really good little bits of comedic timing in it as well. And the dude, you know, why this guy had to run around his house, Rob, as much as he did shirtless, I'm not sure. But the dude is yoked. I mean, this dude is yeah. huge. This guy was designed to play a superhero of so, in one way, shape, or form. And I loved him in this movie. Now, look, again, I've only seen him in the one thing. Maybe if I saw him in 10 different things, I wouldn't have as high of an opinion. I completely acknowledge that. But the one sample I do have tasted pretty good. I mean, I, I really liked his presence in that movie. I liked what he did. And if, you know, the casting director saw that and see him and, and they know what they want this Hawkman to be, great. And of course, this just, Rob, piles on to the fact that everybody got excited from DC fandom when they when The Rock did come out and talk about the fact that we were going to get Justice Society and, you know, Dr. Fate got a lot of people buzzing. Hawkman's one of those too. Rob, what do you think about this casting as uh, with Aldous Hodges' Hawkman? I love it. I think it's great. I think he looks fantastic. And, you know, if you go all the way back, people I've read online talking about, well, you know, you're you're race swapping the character, but not really, because Hawkman has roots in ancient Egypt. It's the fact that he's been reincarnated. I just think this casting is is fantastic. And he I mean, I I hope they do the the suit where you, you see how yoked he is, where he's just basically wearing the straps, you know, and he's, 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 you see his chest. I've always loved Hawkman. I think it's badass. Hawkman's a badass. Uh, I, as long as they, they can make him, I don't want him to look like the Hawkman in Flash Gordon. <laughs> you know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, if he's flying through the air with Black Adam, I, I, I just want to see the I want to see convincing flying effects, but uh, Kadar Hole, if he's playing that, I, I just I love that character. I'm stoked, dude, and I've always loved the Justice Society of America. Bring it on, Doctor Fate, Hawkman, come on, who doesn't want to see that? I mean, it it looks good, and I think this guy will be 
fabulous. I think it'll be, be I really think he's going to be good. I mean, again, a limited sample size that I have. I understand that. But I saw this name and I'm like, okay. Yeah, because seriously, ever since I saw Invisible Man, I've been wondering, when are we going to see this guy pop up again? Because, again, like, while, I mean, the star of the movie she completely stole the show yes but i really thought he was one of the big contributing factors as to why i enjoyed this movie so much and i've been waiting to see what big thing he'd do next you know what i'm saying i've got four words for you hawkman hot toy you know what i'm saying yeah is that is that four words or three words well hawkman's actually one word but i <laughs> I, I i split it up into hawkman hot toy well, that, it worked for me. Four syllables. Four syllables. Completely works for me. Question is, guys, what do you think about this casting? I like the casting personally, but how do you feel about it? Maybe you didn't like him in Invisible, uh, in Invisible Man. Maybe you didn't even like that movie. Maybe you're thinking, ah, we don't even need this character in this movie. Personally, I'm excited for it. How do you guys feel about it? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets sent to us by Robbie Emmett. And Robbie Emmett writes, Just wanted to see if you saw that Janice Smollett, who's right now is absolutely killing it in Lovecraft, uh, Chris Hemsworth and Miles Teller are going to star in a movie written by the Deadpool writers and directed by Top Gun 2's Joseph Kaczynski. On the surface, I thought it would be some kind of sci-fi epic, but it sounds kind of like a drama thriller. Uh, either way, it's a great collection of talent. What do you think? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, they're all getting together for a new project called Spiderhead, which sounds interesting. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety. They write, Chris Hemsworth, Miles Teller, and Jeunice Smollett will lend their combined star wattage to Netflix's Spiderhead, Variety has confirmed. The film is an adaptation of a George Saunders short story that first ran, that first ran in The New Yorker and was later included in the author's book, Ten of December. It unfolds in the near future and follows two convicts who are housed in a facility run by a doctor who experiments on inmates with powerful drugs that alters emotions. And I agree with you, by the way. I almost expected that sentence to end with, by a doctor who experiments on inmates with powerful drugs that gives them superpowers. That's almost kind of sounds like how it would come across. But listen, a couple things to note. Uh, yes, the Deadpool writers... Uh, Rhett Reese and Wernick are the guys writing this. They have done a lot of great stuff. I've been enjoying their work a lot. So that's one thing. Yeah, Joseph Kaczynski, who has worked with Miles Teller before, as a matter of fact, in that firefighter movie he was in with Josh Brolin. I think it was called Only the Brave or something like that. Yeah. So he has worked with him before in that. Chris Hemsworth returning again to Netflix. Uh, again, Smollett is killing it in Lovecraft. I mean, I, I just loving her in that show. I don't know anything about Spiderhead, though. Let, let's be clear. Like, I just don't know anything about this story or what the underlying premise of it is or, you know, what, what its pedigree is or anything like that. So I, I simply don't know. So I'm personally only operating here on the fact of who is involved. I love the writers. I love the writers. I like the director. I love this cast. I, again, Rob, I've talked for a long time that I actually think Miles Teller is a horrifically underrated actor that people some people judge just because they didn't like some of the movies he appears in he's a phenomenal talent he's a really really talented dude and so i have a natural 
hesitation when it comes to Netflix original films because I've just been burned by them a lot. Like it's, it's like one out of every 10 ends up being any good. But still, this is an impressive collection of people here, Rob. You take a look at this. What do you think about the way Spiderhead is shaping up? Uh, look, it sounds great to me. I mean, Kaczynski is a, you know, I, I didn't love Tron Legacy, but I really enjoyed Oblivion and Oblivion to me gets better every time I see it. And he has a really interesting visual style. So even if I don't like the movies as much as I want to, I, I really enjoy watching them. And this sounds really intriguing. And I think Netflix, the talent that they're attracting, I, I mean, I think their movies are getting better and better and better. And I I I think we're going to get to the point where we're not going to have that built-in prejudice against them. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. I, it sounds intriguing to me. And um, Smollett, I love anything she's in. <laughs> That's It's just, I'm a simple man. I just love anything she's in. Question is, guys, I think this sounds like it's a really good collection of talent. I don't know enough personally about the story itself to know how well it goes. But hey, this is, hey, listen, acting talent is never a bad thing. There's a lot of talent here. How are you guys feeling about this? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, Let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Dominic F. And Dominic F. writes, Hey, John and Rob. So you probably saw that Dwayne The Rock Johnson came out and publicly endorsed someone for president. I don't know. I Sorry. I know you refuse to talk politics on your show, but I wanted to know your opinion on if The Rock being the definitive biggest movie star in the world, should be publicly endorsing anyone, left or right, in a political race. Couldn't this hurt his career and maybe make his movies divisive just because people know who he endorsed or didn't endorse? What do you think? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, I, I was as surprised as anybody the other day when I turned on my news feed and saw that Dwayne Johnson decided to come out and endorse a political candidate for president. This is something that despite his stature as clearly, I mean, it is beyond refute. It, what you can't dis discuss or deny is that he is, as you said, he is the de facto biggest movie star in the world. I mean, that's that's just his position. He is, I'm not saying he is the best actor in the world. <laughs> He's not, uh, he's not a bad actor either. I'm just saying he's not the best actor in the world, but he is without question the biggest movie star in the world. There's a reason why he has now gone multiple years in a row as being the top earning box office guy, the top earning salary guy, all that kind of stuff. He is the biggest movie star in the world. And he has traditionally maintained a very, you know, centrist kind of thing. He's not gotten involved as a movie star. He has decided not to use his platform to get involved. Even when he appeared, Rob, back in 2000 at the Republican National Convention, he made it pretty clear that he's not there to hope, you know, a Republican candidate or a Democratic candidate. He just wants people to vote, right? He was even there. He was pretty clear. This is the first time he's come out and kind of uh, done this. And he did so rather emphatically. But also, I want to argue in a calculated manner. Let's take a look at what he said here. This is what Dwayne Johnson wrote on his social media. 
As a political independent and centrist for many years, I voted for Democrats in the past as well as Republican. In this critical election, I believe Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the best to lead our country. And as my first ever public presidential endorsement, I proudly endorse them for the presidential office of our United States. Progress takes change, humanity, empathy, strength, grit, kindness, and respect. Being kind and respectful to one another will always matter. Now we must all vote. Uh, That is coming to us from Dwayne Johnson. All right. The question that comes up here and, you know, what I don't want us to get into is, you know, I don't like I refuse to talk politics on this show. Every once in a while, though, there will be a conjunction where we have the world of entertainment is kind of overlapping here. We have it's not it's not rare for a an actor to take a political stance whether it's a uh, Oprah or whether it's an Andy Garcia, uh, whether it's a Chris Evans or whether it's a Clint Eastwood. Um, It's not unusual for actors to come out and make their political stances known and endorse people and all that kind of stuff. But, But we're talking about the world's biggest single movie star, period, who has never decided to get involved. The question becomes, regardless of who he's endorsing, regardless of that, Was it a good idea for The Rock, who has a very carefully maintained, delicate um, brand, Rob, that he has created around himself? Is it a good idea for somebody in that type of position who has spent as many years and as much effort in creating that very carefully put together brand is it a good idea for him to come out and endorse somebody one way or the other? I think there's two answers to that question. Let's look on the one hand of should he? Like put his career aside, put put the business sense aside. Should he as an individual come out and, and make a statement? And in this, Rob, I find everybody are massive hypocrites. I don't care if they're leaning to the right or if they're leaning to the left. Everybody's a massive hypocrite. Because, you know, if when Clint Eastwood comes out and gives his political statements, then you hear people on the left going, you know, he's a actor and director. He shouldn't be getting involved in this. Uh, you got no problem when Oprah does it. <laughs> or on the other side, you know, if uh, when, when an Oprah or some other actor like a Chris Evans comes out, then you get people on the right going, he's an actor. We don't want to hear about actors. Uh, you had no problem having Scott Baio speak at the, at the Republican convention. I mean, so everybody's a hypocrite when it comes to this. Everybody is. People only have a problem with celebrities expressing the political opinions when it's an opinion that doesn't line up with theirs. That, that, and that, that goes for everybody. I don't care if you're left or right. Y'all know it's true. Everybody only has a problem with it. You don't have a problem with it when the celebrity is endorsing your particular political belief, then it's okay. But as soon as somebody else does it, then that's not okay. And we're all, look, we're all guilty of that. Let's just call it what it is. Everybody's guilty of that. The question is, should a celebrity, uh, somebody like The Rock, have the right to come out and endorse somebody regardless if it's left or right? Should a Clint Eastwood or an Oprah or an Andy Garcia or whatever, should they have that right to come out and do that? And I would say this, just in as much as you as a carpenter or you as an accountant or you as 
um, a bus driver or use whatever, whatever profession is you have, have the, the right to, to maybe, and even maybe it's important to get out and, and say what your political beliefs are. I don't believe that just because you become famous, that that right should be taken away from you. That I, as an accountant, get to say what I think about this political issue, but you, as an actor, should not be allowed to give your opinion on a political issue. I, obviously, there's a difference. Some people have a bigger platform than others, yes, but I don't think that takes away their right to say what they want to say, you know? Um, I, I like me personally, I had no problem when Clint Eastwood did his, remember his thing with the empty chair that he did. Remember that I, yeah. I, I had no problem that he wanted to do that. I have no problem that anybody, I have no problem that the rock wants to come out and say something. So I have no problem that an individual, whether they're famous, semi-famous, not famous at all, should be free to just come out and express what their political belief is. Even if that means saying, who you want to see as president, left or right, doesn't matter. But Rob, it brings up another issue about, okay, that's fine. I, th I think most of us would agree with that sentiment. I think most of us would agree that everybody should have the right to express, you know, you know, even something as basic as who do they want to see as president? I get that, even for the biggest movie star in the world. But was it a smart decision for The Rock to do that? Because one could make an argument that one of the reasons he is universally beloved is specifically because he has taken a very centrist, a very uh, neutral, a very, you know, what what's the country? Is it uh, Switzerland? A very Switzerland <laughs> approach when it comes to politics that he's been very cautious and careful in doing. And in that, I got to be honest with you, I don't know if it was the smartest move. Because, you know, we've seen some of the responses. Like I saw this one response, this one wrote, you know, replied on his saying, my children are now burning your movies. I'm like, okay. But, but, but it does, whether or not you think that's a rational, reasonable response or not, it does raise the issue that this will probably, as the biggest movie star in the world, probably bring some ramifications to it. Now, look, my personal belief is I don't care who a director or actor likes or doesn't like as far as it comes to the political spectrum, right? I don't care if they like the people that Chris Evans likes. I don't care if they're the people that Chuck Norris likes. It doesn't matter to me. I'm still going to watch Chuck Norris and enjoy his movies. I'm still going to like watch, I'm still going to watch and love and admire Clint Eastwood movies. I'm still going to watch and admire Chris Evans's work. It, it, it doesn't matter to me, but it does matter to some people. And maybe The Rock, as the biggest movie star in the world, might have just compromised his business position a little bit. So, I mean, I don't know, Rob, you take a look at this. Do you think it was the right decision for Dwayne The Rock Johnson to come out and regardless of who he's endorsing, left or right, to to make an endorsement like that? Well, first of all, we've had Ronald Reagan, who was an actor, become president of the United States, Republican president of the United States. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Republican governor of California, big economy as far as the world is concerned. So if you look at Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he also – First of all, he's a self-made guy. He's had many different careers performing, whether it was his wrestling career, his movie career. He's now running a huge business. I mean, he's not just – he's got his family, but he's got all the people that he supports through the work that he does. Because he knows so many different people, 
I think somebody like I, I mean, this idea we as Americans from all walks of life are supposed to participate in the political process. Now, what I find strange is like you just said, he's getting responses where mothers are saying our kids are burning your movies. Well, that seems strange to me because we're all supposed to, whatever you believe, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, Americans are supposed to participate in the political process. You know, voting is the, the least uh, thing that you can do. But, you know, people can canvas, they can support their their candidates. And if we, you want to vote whatever side you on, if you want to vote Republican, you want to vote independent, you want to vote Democratic, however you want to vote, you're supposed to be involved in the political process. And the idea that somebody who has a a big platform simply because they're an entertainer and like you pointed out that well a, a plumber can vote and say what he wants uh, a a a say an accountant or any other walk of life they're perfectly allowed to have their own political views but why shouldn't an actor and a guy like Dwayne Johnson he's not just an actor he is an entrepreneur and he has a lot of people that he does business with and he's very successful he's like the first guy that I would want to weigh in on our political process because he has a very unique perspective. I mean, a lot of people think that oh, he's just a Hollywood elite. and What do they know? But as you know, John, most of the people in Hollywood are self-made. They've been here. The people that are successful for decades busting their ass and they usually came from somewhere else. They didn't have a leg up. They didn't have anybody really helping them out. So a guy like Dwayne Johnson he's a self-made dude and he's navigated very many different waters and he's been successful. Uh, and, you know, he has a family that he has immigrant roots and, and roots outside of the United States. I think he's the perfect guy to weigh in on our political process. And I think a lot of what he has and what he's done is something we can all benefit from. And listen, if he comes out and says one thing one way or another, of course, in this divisive political age, he's going to piss people off. But on the other hand, I have to respect that he's stepping up and taking a stand. He's not shying away from his responsibility as an American. And, you know, whoever you want to endorse, as long as you're out there and you're involved in the process, I think that's a good thing, no matter what. Right. I, I, and I think there's a couple of important things here, too, to note. Number one, just because he has a big platform doesn't mean his his political belief is any more important than any of ours. Nope. I mean, and and by the way, just because The Rock says he's going to vote for somebody and endorsing somebody regardless what side it's on doesn't mean you or I should a, nope. at all. It, it's just he's this individual person. I love the way you put, put it, Rob, who is, as an American, participating in the political process and, exp and using his voice. But that doesn't mean anybody's got to listen to it. That doesn't mean I have nope. to or you have to or anybody else. I also thought he did something pretty calculated, as The Rock often does. You know, when sometimes when you get celebrities who will, and again, we're talking about a different breed here. We're talking about the biggest movie star in the world. But sometimes when you get other celebrities who decide to come out and endorse, they'll often do it from a negative point of view, like whether it's. Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who I like very much, but, you know, she'll come out and endorse one side by saying really <laughs> less yep. than 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 complimentary things about the other side. Right. Because so she, when, in supporting Joe Biden, she said some pretty nasty things about Trump. Um, 
Chuck Norris, when he was supporting the Republican candidate at the time, he also said a quote I will never forget. And I love Chuck Norris, don't get me wrong. But he also said a quote I'll never forget. If, if Barack Obama wins this next election, America will be thrust into a thousand years of darkness. I'll never forget that. But so you get actors on both sides that do that. But The Rock, being as calculated as he is, when you look again at his statements, and that's the wrong quote, that's something we'll talk about next. But when you look at his statements, all he did was just say, hey, I'm endorsing this person. And here's why I'm endorsing this person. And it was never about the other candidate. It was never about, it says, he says, I'm endorsing this, this candidate. And here's why I like this candidate. But it was never about taking a shot at the other candidate. And I thought that was also very smart and, and calculated on his behalf. And I wish left and right, I wish more celebrities who decided to get involved in the political process would maybe take that approach as well. I mean, I, I don't know, but I thought that was very smart on the rocks I, part. What do you think? I think you're, you're exactly right. And you know, it, it, it's, it, we're so tribal now and we act like we're on various teams when really we are all Americans. And I think what we want to see, Except me, uh, of course, well, yeah, you're, you're, you're not. <laughs> Um, but, but we want to see what I, what I want to see at least is when it comes to our political leaders, I think that they should embody, or we at least hope they do the best qualities of what America is supposed to represent. You know, you think back to our, whether it's FDR, whether it's Kennedy or, uh, like Teddy Roosevelt or whatever, whoever your favorite president, Lincoln, you know, that these are people that embody the American soul essentially. And I think that whoever you want to vote for, like you just said, elevate the political process. You can get involved and you don't have to drag it back into the muck. You can you can get involved and, and elevate the process and hopefully, by example, get other people to be involved as well. I mean, if nothing else, when a guy like Dwayne Johnson comes out and makes an endorsement, people that only really watch his movies that might not necessarily be interested in politics might suddenly go, well, wait a minute. If The Rock is involved in politics, maybe I should look closer. If he gets more people to set, register to vote, regardless of who you're going to vote for, getting more people involved in the American political process is always a good thing. Yeah, and you know what? I think you just raised a great point because I think one of the good things about the de facto world's biggest movie star coming out saying this is I think this is going to motivate a lot of people to vote on both sides because I think there might be some people who – you know, are supporting the opposite candidate of The Rock are and seeing, seeing The Rock coming out and make that message saying, well, wow, like they're coming out and make their message. It's important then for me to get involved and make sure I register and make sure I vote. And then people who do agree with whoever it is The Rock is endorsing go, wow, The Rock's endorsing. All right, then I should also get involved here and vote. And I think that's one of the good things is that it's going to motivate more people on either side to sign up, get involved and make sure they vote. And 100%. Uh, I think that's great. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is about as political as you'll ever hear this show be. Uh, but yeah, question is for you guys. What do you think about that? We've got the world's biggest movie star deciding to weigh in. Is it a good idea for it? Is it really something he should do? And I decided to make that the topic of today's question of the day. And the question of the day, the way I worded it and put it to you guys, that I just put this up just a little bit ago, just before the show started. I asked you guys simply this. Question of the day. The biggest movie star in the world, Dwayne Johnson, just publicly endorsed one of the presidential candidates despite never really doing so in the past. Obviously, he has a right to do this, but was it a good idea 
for him to do this. Uh, over 5,200 of you guys have already voted on this. Again, we just put this up about an hour ago. Right now, 71% of you are saying, yes, he should endorse who he believes in. But 29% of you, a little bit more cautious, saying, no, it's best for his brand to stay neutral, at least publicly, at least in the public eye, remain neutral. So it's an interesting kind of mix there. So as of right now, 71% saying, yes, he should endorse who he believes in, regardless of who that is, right or left. 29% uh, of you is like, no, it's best for your brand and your career to publicly publicly stay neutral. That's what you guys are saying. By the way, guys, this poll can be found in the community tab on my YouTube channel. I'm going to leave that up there so you guys can go in there and participate in there. But for you guys watching live right now, question is for you. In the worlds of entertainment and politics, was it a good idea from a fundamental point of view for the world's biggest movie star to weigh in and get involved, regardless of who it was he was endorsing? What do you guys think about that? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to our fifth main topic today. And our fifth main topic today gets submitted to us by Eric the Green. <laughs> and Eric the Green writes, I'm a simple man. All I want in life is to hear Samuel L. Jackson say, get these mother effing aliens off my mother effing planet. Maybe on Disney Plus we won't get the profanity, but something close. What do you make of the report that a Nick Fury series is coming? Will it be a prequel? Will it move forward after the uh, far from home post credit scene when we see him on the ship? What do you think we can expect? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, for those of you guys who might have missed it, Samuel Jackson is going to star in a Nick Fury series. This comes to us from Variety, who writes, Samuel L. Jackson is set to reprise the role of Nick Fury in a new Marvel series currently in development at Disney+. Variety has learned exclusively from sources. The exact plot details of the show are being kept under wraps, but multiple sources say Jackson is attached to star with uh, Kyle Bradstreet attached to write and executive produce. Like all the other Marvel shows at Disney+, Marvel Studios will produce. This is one of those pieces of news that I was surprised, but not surprised. You know what I mean? You, you, you say every once in a while you get that piece of news, and I'm surprised to hear that, but not really surprised to hear about that. I, I wasn't, I always knew that there was more you could do with Nick Fury and Samuel L. Jackson. It's a popular character and a popular performer playing him. But, you know, would they do that? I don't know. It seemed like they have a lot of stuff on their agenda and on their plate right now to get through and to get done. So look, first out of the way, I love it. I love it. I'm totally down for this. I will watch the hell out of this. Now, obviously, being Disney+, Plus, we will not hear Samuel L. Jackson say, saying, get these mother effing aliens off my mother effing planet. We will not hear him say that on Disney+. Plus. That being said, and that aside, uh, I think this is fabulous. I have loved the swagger. There's a swagger that Samuel L. Jackson brought to the Nick Fury character that you saw from day one when he first appeared in that post credit scene in the first Iron Man film. There's this power and swagger that he brought to that role that really played well in Captain America Winter Soldier. I mean, I, I particularly loved him in that. And we haven't seen an awful lot of him since. 
I liked him in Captain Marvel very much. They did, they did that whole make him look a little bit younger thing. Although the funny thing is, Rob, even when they digitally made him look younger, he ain't didn't look that much different than he does normally. But <laughs> no. like, that dude bathes himself in unicorn blood or something because he does not age much at all. But I, I like the idea. Now, as far as the whole question about, well, what do they do with this? Like, do they go into a prequel sort of setting. I doubt it. I, I don't think they'll want to do that whole de-aging thing that they did in the first one, but really you don't even have to. The guy just looks incredible. I, I've got a feeling it'll probably be more contemporary. I have a feeling they're going to be more contemporary with it. Now, it's important to point out, Rob, they haven't said. Like even Variety is saying in their report, like even our sources, are they're keeping it t uh, close to the vest right now. They're not letting us know what this is about. My guess is and my theory is it will jump out from that point that we saw at the end of Far From Home. Um, and I think that might even be the basis of it. But I, again, that is pure wild speculation on my part. Rob, you heard this news. Nick Fury series coming to Disney Plus. What do you think? Well, first of all, I think you you nailed it when you said he brought a swagger to the role of Nick Fury, which I think I've been missing in the Marvel movies. You know, it was so great to see at the end of uh, Endgame, or not Endgame, uh, Infinity War, when we got that glimpse of him with Colby Smullers, and he, you know, he gets out of the car and he's like, "Mother," and he starts to disintegrate. You know, he, he gets he gets blipped away, but I I, I think it's going to be contemporary. I think the entire MCU. I mean, we're going to see flashbacks in the Eternals. They say it spans a thousand years of history. But I think for the most part, I think the main MCU is now going to be all post blip, post Thanos. And I think really, I mean, it would be really interesting if you're looking at different genres. You know, I think Nick Fury getting involved in making a political thriller out of a Nick Fury show could be really interesting. You know, he's a guy that obviously has worked for different governmental organizations. He's been inside. He's been outside. I would really like to see maybe a Jack Ryan-esque type show uh, where, yeah. you know, where Nick Fury is, is not just – I mean, what do you do? How do you – at first he was part of a, 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 an espionage – a counter-espionage organization and then you're dealing with metahumans and aliens and superheroes. But you still have to make sure that the government works and our military works and – and I think you could do a really fascinating show, whether it's Sword, whether it's Shield, whatever it is. I, dude, bring it on, man! And I mean, I could see, I could see Nick Fury running for president of the Marvel Universe. I mean, I would love to see something like that. President Nick Fury. President Fury. I mean, come on, why not? I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that I would like to see. Now, this goes against my normal philosophy. I will admit this goes against my normal philosophy of, hey, tell new stories, go in different directions, all that kind of stuff. But I got to tell you, because I am such a big fan of Clark Gregg and because I like that character Coulson so much mm. and because I lament that Clark Gregg and Coulson were wasted on that terrible Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. And no offense, Sam, I know a lot of people do like the show. And if you like it, that's awesome. I, I wanted to love it. I just... It had, its, it had its moments, had its moments that I appreciated, but I always love Clark Gregg, and I always love that character, Coulson. 
And I love seeing Coulson and Nick Fury together again in Captain Marvel. And I hope, I don't know that they will do this. There's probably a thousand legitimate arguments against it. I would hope to see somehow, some way they get Coulson involved in the show. Because seeing Clark Gregg and Samuel Jackson doing a buddy cop thing, dude, I, I'd be so down for that. I'd be so down for that. Do you got If you had a wish list, like if Kevin Feige gave you a call and said, Rob, I'm in a generous mood today. You get one wish list item that I, I'll pop into this Nick Fury show. What, what's something you might ask him to, to drop in there? Well, I think I think seeing Clark Gregg is a good one, but I well, Moon Knight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I you know, I I I want to see my boy show up at some point. In uh, I know they they've announced a series, but there's been no movement beyond that. I know that they've got a showrunner working on scripts, but but I I would just like to see a a, a Moon Knight cameo. Maybe you know, that's funny. how they introduce him. I mean, it's a little bit of a side issue here. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's been over a year since they announced. That Moon Knight thing, I, I and know, we've had dude. nothing. Nothing. Now, granted, no. we haven't had a lot of move, a lot of movement on a lot of the other stuff. Like, there's been no movement on that Kamala Khan, uh, Miss Marvel thing. Although, after seeing that game footage of the Avengers uh, video game that's out now, I'm I am far more curious about seeing that character. We yeah. finally got a little bit of movement going on. I mean, obviously with She Hulk, we got we got our our lead cast now in it, and that's good. But still, nothing about. And I'm I'm sure the pandemic has probably done its share yeah, to kind yeah, of not I mean, uh, I mean the whole marvel cinema what's uh, what's ironic is the marvel cinematic universe in real life has been blipped kind of like the marvel <laughs> cinematic universe was blipped. at the end of infinity war it's just instead of five years we pushed everything a year or a year and a half yeah you know the one i guess suppose the one kind of silver lining because what was it was it five years that endgame picks up five was it five years yeah, later five years so, later. you know if there is a silver lining here about the pandemic pushing the mcu it is allowing us in real time to catch up to the timeline of the blip right <laughs> we're we're gonna we're not gonna be so far as the, the blip <laughs> MCU is not going to be that much further into the future than we are now. Well, another good thing is that I'm able to catch up with all the hot toys that I've missed. Well, you were just you telling know? me, you were just telling me about a new one you just got. You don't happen to have it there with you, do you? No. Well, it's here. It's just, it's in a box still. Oh, okay. I cannot, con well, yes, the, the hot toys, the Age of Ultron Hulkbuster. <laughs> the six Ooh. scale. And it's in a ginormous box. I just haven't opened it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you know, honestly, you know, I love hot toys. Well, they only they put them out when the movies don't come out. So and usually, you know, you have to catch up. <laughs> so now it's there's been I don't have to catch up with. I can just keep getting the things that I've missed. <laughs> well, I don't know how long we're going to have to wait for this Nick Fury thing. Probably longer than any of us are thinking, but I'm ex I'm excited for it. I think this sounds great. What do you guys think? Do you maybe think this is the MCU going to the well too many times? I mean, I, I don't know. Do you are you interested in a Nick Fury series? I am fascinated by it. Mostly because of Samuel L. Jackson, I'll say that right now. But anyway, what do you guys think? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with all of that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions. And if you have a live comment or question you want on the show, you can go ahead and use the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video, or you can just enter it manually, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Again, you'll be getting your comment or question on the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us here, thank you guys very much for that. All right, let's get on to it here. And we're going to get things picked up here. We're going to start with... Ryan Holman and Ryan Holman writes, 
One of two. Uh, Hello, John. Hope your day is going well. It is going well. Thank you. With rumors circulating that Tom Cruise might play an alternate version of Iron Man and Doctor Strange 2, which I don't believe at all. Not impossible. Not impossible, but I don't believe it at all. Uh, It got me thinking. Everyone keeps thinking John Krasinski should play Mr. Fantastic, and we know he met with Marvel. But what if he isn't playing Mr. Fantastic, but an alternate cap? Uh, I would prefer that he plays Mr. Fantastic, but curious what you thought. Well, I what I think is simply this. I don't care about X actor and X role. I don't I don't care. All I ever care about is for whatever role you're talking about. Are you talking are you talking about a, a good actor? John Krasinski is a good actor. However, the one interesting thing about this is that John Krasinski you know, ultimately, they went with Chris Evans. That ended up being a slam, like a, just a home run for them, getting Chris Evans to play Captain America. But one of the other actors who was very close to getting the role was John Krasinski. So he was actually in the running to play that, much like Henry Cavill was in the running to play Superman for Superman Returns when it went to Brandon Routh. And I love and I, I love the Brandon Routh, what he did in that movie. I do. So, I mean, it would it wouldn't be unprecedented. It wouldn't be unprecedented for a guy who came close to getting the role before to be given the role. Again, I don't think so. I think, you know, if we do see John Krasinski in the MCU, and that's a big if, but if we do, I I feel pretty good it'll probably be Mr. Fantastic because that's what everybody's talking about. Um, it doesn't mean it's going to happen, but I think it's it's a pretty good possibility there. Rob, what do you think? I mean, number one, where do you think the the chances are that Krasinski joins? And if so, do you is it if he joins the MCU? Is it pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point that it'll probably be Reed Richards? How do you see it? I I think so. <laughs> I mean. I don't think that the last time I heard this kind of buzz around who fans wanting a a specific actor to play a character was Patrick Stewart playing Professor X in the X-Men, you know, 20 years ago. And and I think that Krasinski and Emily Blunt, as far as being Reed Richards and Sue Storm, uh, not that they would necessarily both come over, but I, I just think that Krasinski, you know what, in my mind, he already is Reed Richards. You know, let's, I think it's an inevitability that they're going to bring the X-Men and the Fantastic Four into the family. And um, in my mind, th- there's only one name. I mean, maybe they'll come up with somebody better, but Krasinski would just – I mean, in real life, he's already the kind of guy <laughs> that Reed Richards would be, you right. know, you know if, if he was a super genius inventor scientist. <laughs> that would be John Krasinski. Put a little gray there in his hair and kabam. And there so, it is. I, I'm in. All right. Let's move on here. Trevor Massey writes, hey, John, it's finally here. We got two UFC title fights tomorrow. This was obviously written in before before Saturday when the when the big UFC 253 happened, which was a great card, by the way. Uh, it's finally here. We got two UFC uh, title fights tomorrow. Who do you got in the co and main events? And what do you think of the card? The card was great. I, I really did enjoy the card quite a bit. Um, I went one and one in my picks for the main event. And I got to tell you, I feel bad for Dominic Riaz um, because Dominic to me going into that fight, they were fighting Dominic and Jan were going into fight for the vacated light heavyweight title that John bones Jones vacated. And really it should have been Dominic defending the light heavyweight title because make no mistake about it. Dominic beat John bones Jones in that fight. I don't care what you say, I don't care anything. Dominic won that fight, and he should have been the defending. And the his absolute refusal 
to fight Dominic again is why John Bones Jones ran away from the light heavyweight division. At any rate, that's just me. But uh, I mean, listen, so I, I thought, you know, Destiny would have been, this was his opportunity to get that sweet justice and get that light heavyweight title. But dude, Polish powerhouse, man, Jan is no joke. And that he's like, you hear about people who have power. That dude has got nukes on the end of his wrists, like absolute mm. nukes. And I'm going to tell you right, right now, he's going to pose a problem to anybody in the light heavyweight division as the reigning champion. He's going to pose problems and uh, felt super good for him. But I did pick Dominic to win that fight. So I was 0 for 1 there. I did pick Stylebender to win against Costa, but I thought that fight would be closer. Israel, listen, the baddest man on the planet is still Habib Nurmagomedov. He is still the baddest man on the planet. But I'll tell you what, there is a solid argument. The last style bender, Israel Alessania, he is building a, a resume to make an argument that maybe he's the goat right now. He's building that resume. He destroyed Costa. Like destroyed him. This undefeated monster who was going in there to fight Israel that a lot of people thought was just going to overpower Israel and all that kind of stuff. And Israel destroyed him. He, he was never in any trouble. All he was just set there for two and a half rounds or for one and a half rounds, really being a punching bag for Israel for style bender. It was crazy to watch. So I, I, the guy who I thought would win won, but I didn't think he was going to win that easily. I really didn't. It overall was a very entertaining card for me. I had a very good time watching it. And, uh, Cannot wait to see what uh, Israel does next, man. I really can't wait to see what he does next. All right. Um, testing rights. Just wanted to say thanks and see when this would show up in a show. If submit exactly at 1 p.m. Well, that was probably on the last show that we did on Friday because we still had a few questions to get th through on Friday, but that's when it pops up. All right. Uh, Richard Z writes, hey, John, recently, thanks to you, I watched and finished Sons of Anarchy. Nice. I know you've mentioned it before, but I've forgotten. What are your thoughts on the final season and finale in general? My last season was rough, but overall, one of my favorite ever. I listen, I'll tell you what. I know there were some people that didn't like the way Sons of Anarchy ended, 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 but, and I won't give away how it ends, but to me, I always said this, like even while watching the show, there was no other way for that show to end like that. The way Sons of Anarchy ends, that's the way you could almost tell from episode one that that's, that's, this is the way this show is going to end ultimately. And I thought it was done really well. I thought the imagery that they used a lot, like with the different almost angelic figures, stuff like that. But Rob, did you ever get through Sons of Anarchy and, and finish the series? Yes, you I did, did finish the series Sons of Anarchy. What were your thoughts on on that finale? Without I, giving too I much liked, away. I, I mean, I liked it. I, I thought it, it, it ended kind of the way it's not like it was that unexpected or anything. It ended the way it should have ended. I thought. Yeah, I mean, I agree. The, I think the show really, you know, what was great about Sons of Anarchy is I thought it was really true to itself. You know, it never, it really, it, it, look, did it hit the philosophical or dramatic highs of Breaking Bad? Sometimes it did. It, but it, and it might not have been as, say, the, the transference of a high school teacher to becoming the, the meth lord that he was, but, <laughs> but cause it was always dealing with a criminal element. But I, I thought sons of anarchy for the most part was a very, um, 
it was a really well done show that stayed true to itself and it was surprisingly effective throughout its entire run. It never, yeah. I felt that it was completely engrossing. It's a terrific series and it should, you know, it doesn't, the people that love Sons of Anarchy, like my housemate before I lived here was a Sons of Anarchy fanatic and, and she was the one that got me watching it in the first place. And it's a great show. Oh, it's like, awesome. It's a, it's a really great, but I have not watched any of Mayans. You know what? I avoided Mayans at first because I thought, ah, this is just going to be a poor man's, even though it was run by the same people at first. I just thought this is going to be a poor man's poor substitute for Sons of Anarchy. And it is not as good as Sons of Anarchy, but it's really good. Like, I, yeah. I, I actually found myself getting pretty hooked on it. You know, it's funny because a uh, uh, friend, uh, Josh Makuga, is actually the one who got me to, to first watch Vikings. And the way he got me to watch Vikings was saying, OK, you got to watch Vikings. I'm like, why? It goes Sons of Anarchy with Vikings. And like that, that sold me. And you know what? He was 100% right. Because if you are somebody who watches Vikings, but you haven't tried Sons of Anarchy, my pitch to you would be, okay, Sons of Anarchy, think Vikings, but with bikers. And there, there's your show. But anyway, that's my thoughts on that. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Mahir uh, ha, uh, Hoke writes, Hope you're well, John. I am. Uh, it is my birthday today. I'm really bummed about the state of theaters. I have stock in AMC and Cinemark. First of all, happy birthday to you, man. May you have a glorious day and a glorious year ahead of you. And actually, you know what? You're not alone. My wife bought stocks in AMC. Now, she bought stocks when they were at their lowest of lows. I think she bought them at like two bucks when they were at two bucks a share. And I think right now they're about four something. So she could sell right now and double her money. I'm actually thinking she should sell her stocks. I was telling her to hold on to them before, but now with all the movies moving, I think the theaters are in real trouble. I would maybe suggest selling your stock, but it depends. If you bought them as low as Ann did, where she could sell the stock right now and still make a lot of money, great. If not, maybe hold on to it. But uh, anyway, either way, that drama aside, happy birthday to you, my friend. All right. St. Campion writes, uh, <clears throat> hey, John and crew, the two... Uh, Pen penultimate episodes for Raised by Wolves have been released. I haven't seen them yet. Uh, and the revelations were dizzying. It made my friends scream so loud uh, that my landlord came to my place uh, and watched the show. She's now obsessed with it as well. Praise soul. Uh, yeah, I have not caught up. I have now watched five episodes. I believe I'm on the fifth episode of Raised by Wolves right now. Uh, I think that's where I'm at. Rob, have you been following along with Raised by Wolves yet? No, I, but I'm. that's the next thing I'm jumping into. I want to catch that. I love the first episode. Yeah, I, I'm still like, I'm not going to say I love this show, but mm. I'm certainly into it. I'm into it. And and it's it's got me. So I'm I'm enjoying the show. I'm watching the show again. I think I'm only up to episode five, so I haven't seen the last couple yet, but I will be checking those out post haste all right uh next one up uh sp9593 writes hey john and crew greetings from the uk i was watching an old uh jaguar ad about hollywood villains oh i remember this commercial where they're in the helicopters and this i love this commercial about hollywood villains being played by a lot of us brits featuring tom hiddleston and mark strong and who was the other one there was another popular brit uh actor in that anyway mark strong why do you think we make good villains love the show i think one of the reasons that brits englishmen make such terrific villains is i rob i, I don't know if you ever took the dove ss simmons film course but i i because i, I heard quentin tarantino talk about it, so i went and took it myself but and i learned i learned a lot it was actually really good if you ever get a chance to take the dove ss simmons film course go ahead and do it but 
one of the things he talked about, I remember was talking about villains and says, one of the things that makes a great villain is when you get an archetype that is supposed to be an archetype that portrays safety. So, you know, hand that rocks the cradle, you know, babysitter is supposed to be, you know, a, a symbol of safety and whatever, or, or sometimes they'll make the priest, the villain, actually, they always make the priest, the villain, I'm getting tired of it. But, um, or the thing about, to me, this has always been my, my theory on this, Rob, I don't know what you think mm. about this, but when I hear somebody speaking with a, a, a good English accent, to me, I think poise, I think, I think cultured, I think uh, manners. I think of of a model of a properly behaved person. I, I just think of this goodness, right? And maybe that, because that's the archetype in my head of what like a, a proper Englishman is, that when they are the villain, it has that strong effect. So I don't know. That's why it is for me. Why do you think there's a, there's often an attraction to like the British villains? Why do you think that is? Well, I think that that's part of it. You know, I think especially we as Americans, like whenever I hear a certain kind of British accent, I just assume that person is smarter than I am. You know, I mean, the, the, you're, you're speaking the proper king's English, the queen's English. <laughs> so you must you must inherently know more than I do. But one of the things that I think is is very um, uh, interesting is you think about the great villains and if they're that smart that means they're that much more dangerous. And and for me, like growing up watching Bond movies, you know, a lot of the Bond baddies were were Brits, whether it was, you know, somebody like, even though they might not necessarily, like, they were playing by Germans or something, but you're just European people. They're just all dangerous in general because they're smarter than we are. They know more than we are. Their cultures are a lot or older than ours. So I just, I think that's why. <laughs> I got to give a shout out to Murtorenta. I think that's how you say it. In the, it's Murtorenta in the live chat reminded me that it was Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley was the third evil Brit in that Jaguar commercial. It was a great commercial. If you guys haven't seen it, you should go and look it up. It's, it's a lot of fun. Okay, next up. Uh, let's see. St. Campion writes, Hey, John and crew. I was also wondering why raised by wolves grabbed me the way it did. And I found out recently that the OST, uh, was composed. I don't know what OST is opening original sequence, soundtrack, original soundtrack was composed by Ben Frost. The same genius that was involved in another sci-fi masterpiece. Netflix's dark praise soul. I'll be honest with you. Music isn't the thing that gets me. I, I find a lot of these shows, whether they're Netflix shows or now Apple Plus shows or HBO Max shows, I often quite find that their opening music is honestly kind of – usually their opening sequence is like even Daredevil. I even thought Daredevil, as much as I love that show, I thought Daredevil's opening was just bland, generic. Just It's just the same. I, I think Westworld's is the same. I thought Westworld's opening is just this bland, generic, just just do some close images with this almost haunting kind of music. And, I've, and honestly, I found that Raised by Wolves, which is a show I'm very much enjoying, but it's the same kind of just bland, kind of boring – you know, Rob, it, it just seems like there's a template right now. Close-up images of some abstract things that kind of fit with what your show is and kind of haunting sort of music and boom, that's your show opening. I, I don't know. Like what do you what do you think about that? No, I agree. I, I I much prefer I like strong thematic elements and I would I think I do miss a little bit of that. You know, I mean a perfect example not to use it to beat something I like to beat on all the time, but like the, the, the theme of Star Trek discovery, 
you know, the Star Trek themes, all of them have been pretty strong and pretty melodic and 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 they've made statements. And I think Star Trek, like you just described, is kind of the same thing. It's it's kind of this slower moving thing that that is more about the images. And I don't know, it's more like evoking. I, I don't know. I, 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 but it was I, I, better than Star Trek Enterprise playing a Rod Stewart song. Is it? Can we all agree well, on that? Can we yes. all agree on that? <laughs> yes. But I mean, I miss, you know, growing up as a child of television, all the way back to things like the theme from SWAT and, and mm. you know, Twilight Zone. And and if you think about the, the television shows of the 80s. Um, whether it was Miami Vice or Wise Guy or the stuff that I really liked. Airwolf, Knight Rider. Airwolf, yeah. I mean, they all had these pieces of music that you could remember and whistle, and they left an indelible impression, and and they made a statement. I missed that, You know what was really good recently? Game of Thrones was actually great, because the the theme to Game of Thrones is incredible, but also that whole thing of the the evolving and the unfolding of the maps as you travel around... You know, oh. the world in that. That was that's a great example of a really Jeez. great And by the opening. way, that theme, that theme is great. Everybody, oh, you know, yeah. you, when you first hear the first notes of that, you know exactly what it is. Yeah. You yeah. know, by the way, I do mean, you ever see the you ever see the South Park where they do the song? Oh, they, they go to George R. R. Martin's house to find out yeah. when are we going to get dragons? And <laughs> he, he put words to the song and it's yeah. flaccid penis, <laughs> penis, flaccid penis. I I. I, whatever, guys, I'm 12. Give me a break. All right. Next up, uh, Calvin Panho writes, hey, John, I love reading about this extremely hard to get achievements like the EGOT. Do you know about the Grand Shalem in Formula One? I don't watch Formula One or any kind of car racing, to be honest with you. So, no, I'm not familiar with it. It's when the pilot uh, that would be driver for most people. It's when the pilot makes makes pole position win the race, makes the fastest lap, and lead every single lap. Only 24 drivers ever got one. That's actually interesting. That's kind of an interesting little factoid if you were into that. Again, I'm into most sports. Got to admit, I'm not really into the driving sports. Um, yeah, it's just never been my cup of tea per se. But that is actually an interesting uh, known fact. You win the race, make the fastest lap, get the pole position, and lead every single rep. That is interesting. No, I would actually think it would be more than just that, but that's an interesting one to know. All right, St. Campion also writes, Hey, John and crew, continuing towards my appreciation of Raves by Wolves, composer Ben Frost, the music at the end credits of episode six was when it dawned on me that the um, original soundtrack is strong. Uh, It was like experiencing a fever dream on a summer night, praise soul. Again, I'm not very big on the music to it. I'm not saying the music's bad, I'm just finding it, it's, it just kind of blends in with all the other music I hear from a lot. The show's quite good. I'm enjoying the show. Don't get me wrong. And I never listen to the end credits. When when the last thing happens in a show, I'm skipping next episode. <laughs> I'm skipping on to the next episode or stopping the show myself. But maybe, maybe if I put on the brakes and actually just sit down and listen to the music, maybe I'll have a deeper appreciation from it. I can just say as of right now, it's never stood out to me personally, but maybe if I sat down and gave it just a dedicated listen, maybe I'll think differently. All right. Frankie G writes during the show, variety reported a new Disney plus show being featured by Nick Fury, exact details, not available. Again, we did talk about that uh, on the show. Again, no details to be had so far, but I do have kind of have a little bit of a wish list there. Frankie G All right. Orange hand writes, 
All this talk about uh, about film, all this talk about the film and about the Chinese pianist reminds me of a m- moment on The Simpsons with Krusty. Oh, gee, a joke. Um, oh, I remember this one. Um, funny. OK, this guy walks into a bar and pulls out a tiny piano and a 12 inch pianist. Oh, wait, I can't tell that one. Krusty's got some gold. If I would like to find a YouTube video with just the best of Krusty from The Simpsons, like a good 45-minute video that's just the best of Krusty from The Simpsons. We often think about Mr. Burns, but Krusty's got some gold on that show. All right, Frankie in April writes, Hey, John, have you heard the news today that Samuel Jackson is returning as Nick Fury for the MCU Disney Plus series? Do you think there's a chance Coulson and other agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. could return for the series? I'm not interested. Listen, I'll, I'll be frank. Other than Ming-Na, I'm not interested in any of the other characters from uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. To me, that was a failed show, even though it lasted quite long and has its fan base, and I respect that. I do. But I really don't give two craps about any of the rest. The only one I really deeply care about is uh, Clark Gregg's Agent Coulson. So I do hope, I do hope we get that one. Everybody else, other than maybe with the possibility of Ming-Na, um, I, I could really care less about the other ones. All right. Ronan writes, I've been watching Daniel Craig Bond clips on YouTube and got motivated to watch Casino Royale and Spectre. My goodness, I've forgotten how entertaining these films are. Haven't seen them in years, but damn good films. And Rob, listen, I I absolutely like Casino Royale. I think honestly, that's the first Bond. I've always had an appreciation for Bond movies. Um, and I've certainly had Bond movies that I quite liked. Casino Royale was the first Bond movie that I just lost my mind over. That I was just like, this is like amazing. Like, I love that movie. Mm, eh, Spectre, not not so much, I got to say. I, I, yeah, let's just say it that way. So much Spectre. But Casino Royale, I mean, what a way for Daniel Craig to come in and be introduced as Bond. I, I personally love it. I know you're not the biggest fan of the world of Spectre either, right? Oh, Spectre's incredibly disappointing. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I love Casino Royale, but Spect- Spectre has a great opening. The opening in Mexico City during the Day of the oh, Dead Parade. Oh, yeah, that was great. I, I, yeah, that, I admit that was Bond great. Openings. I love that Bond opening, but the rest of the movie is, the rest of the movie is like, it's boring. And and introducing Blofeld like that, who basically doesn't do anything, and it's just, it's pretty nonsensical. It, it looks good, but what a... What a non-exciting Bond movie that is. I never, I can't remember. What were your thoughts on Casino Royale? I love Casino Royale. Oh, okay. okay. I think, I mean, you know, Casino Royale has such a, it's a powerhouse action movie. It's a good Bond film and it's just so much damn fun. Mm. I mean, it's got everything that you want. It's gorgeous to look at. It's got a great score. Uh, Eva Green is Eva Green. Uh, Daniel Craig is badass as Bond. I mean, and it's it's fast, it's brutal, it's just it's everything you want in a Bond movie. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Ronan writes, idea for Jurassic World three. Humor me. In order to show the stakes and how dominant the dinosaurs uh, ha- are. Have a one-on-one battle between a raptor and a Bengal tiger, one of the most dangerous and ferocious animals in the world. With a raptor victory, uh, what do you th- what do you think? Um, I I don't I I don't think that's a good idea because I don't think anybody I don't think you'll find anybody that ask who wins in a fight a Bengal tiger or a velociraptor. I don't think you're going to find anybody that would say a Bengal tiger. Um, so I I think it would just be seen 
kind of like as a as a jobber fight i don't know that showing a raptor beating a real world animal that we have would be the scene to show just how dominant the dinosaurs are you know like have a raptor just maybe wipe out an elephant in a, I, I mean i don't know i but i don't know that that's going to wow everybody or set that tone i don't think that's going to set the tone all right shelly belly writes hey john have you seen magic of disney's animal kingdom on disney plus i have not uh the first episode just dropped and it's really fun and an adorable up close look at the animals and their keepers at animal kingdom and disney world it's so fun i have not i mean listen in as much rob you and i talk about the fact that Disney Plus has really dropped the ball as far as releasing marquee content. What they have done a lot of is dropped a lot of shelf filler content like yeah. BR Chef or uh, <laughs> Shop Class um, with, uh, oh, what's the name of the kid? Uh, Long. Uh, what's, oh, he's he was in Galaxy Quest. Justin Long. Was, Justin Long. They, I, I I feel bad that I forgot his first name. I actually really like Justin Long quite a bit. I do too. But um, by the way, I just finally checked out. Speaking of Justin Long, I finally did just check out that Galaxy Quest uh, Never Surrender documentary. Um, that was uh, one of the producers on it was actually uh, Roth Cornett. Um, very good. Very good. Uh, and and I want to endorse it right now. If you guys have it's all, if you guys have Amazon Prime, I believe it's available now. If you've got Amazon Prime, it's available for free on Amazon. Uh, I recommend going and checking it out. If if you are somebody like me that loves Galaxy Quest, speaking of Justin Long, it's one you should go check out. I thought they did a very very good job. I mean, it was playing in theaters before the pandemic hit. Uh, I, I mean, it didn't play in theater, but it played in some select theaters and there there was a theater here in LA that was playing but I didn't get a chance to go and see it and I finally did the other day and it's quite good but anyway speaking of that Disney has not been short of shelf filler content like that uh and some of it's all right some of it isn't but but I have uh, honestly I haven't really been paying attention to it but I got to say my wife is a massive fan of animals particularly dogs but this sounds like something that would be up her street Rob if you watch this particular title or have you watched any of these other titles that they have that i kind of call shelf filler content no, right now not right. much i mean i watched the the jeff goldblum series that's that's you know and i enjoyed that but that was one of their big launch titles but beyond yeah. that not yeah, so jeff much goldblum's one is great i like that one but that's pretty pretty much it i did try i did try be our chef and i did try shop class and I did try. There was another one, but I, I kind of instantly fell off all of them. It's like, this is not what I got Disney Plus for, but yeah. that is what it is. All right. Uh, Ronan writes, uh, you are so inspirational. So if you don't mind me asking, what are your plans for the future? Are you planning to keep this amazing channel till the end? Or are you working towards a goal? I've been watching you since AMC and just, wow, man, seriously. Well, wow. oh, oh, Ronan, thank you so much. This is awfully kind words. Um, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to say because I love doing this, you know, just getting on, creating content, talking to fellow film fans about the things that we love so much. I mean, I'm so you guys know me. I'm just I find so much inspiring about the movies uh, and what, you know, the movies paint a picture of what the world is or what the world could be, how we imagine it, how we fear it. There's just so much about the movies that I love and just talking about it. But no, there are, I always try to do more things outside of that. Uh, I always have little projects going. Of course, let me use this opportunity here to bring up 
you know, uh, a, a little bit of a plug here. Uh, I will bring up, uh, of course, here's uh, the, the latest poster for my upcoming documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, uh, which I can tell you right now, if all things go according to plan, uh, my documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, should be available sometime in November. Sometime in November is when Movie Trailers, A Love Story should be out. Um I have very realistic expectations for my documentary, to be honest with you. I have very, very realistic expectations. But in a dream world, you know, I've talked to Rob about this. I've talked to Jonathan and Ray about this. In a dream world, I'm able to put out this little documentary and hopefully people like it and hopefully we're able to make some money with it. And if we do... Then and Rob, you know, I've you and I've talked about this. I've talked to you about this. Said if we do make some money with it, I can mm. then take that money that I make on with the movie and use that money as the uh, a fund source, a source of funds to get another project, you know, yeah. in in the works. And what I would really love to do, I mean, this is this is pie in the sky delusions of grandeur kind of dreaming, Rob. But what I would really love to do. <clears throat> is maybe do a couple of successful things if I can get any of them to be successful. But my big, again, delusions of grandeur, big dreams are that I can build up that like source of funds. And then instead of making content myself, use that source of funds to partner with other content makers and say, oh, you're a director or a storyteller and you've got a great idea and you've got some pieces of the puzzle in place, but you need somebody to come on board as a producer and to add some funding and stuff like that to make it happen. I can do that. And then what I would love to see is at some point, you know, again, this is delusions of grandeur, pie in the sky stuff, but uh, my company that kind of uh, that I, that I put together to oversee the John Campy YouTube channel and all my other kind of endeavors is called Carson Drive Media. And what I would love is for Carson Drive Media to become a place that starts to produce stuff for other people as well. So that's, so I would love to be in a world where I get to do my show and, you know, end my show and then go and oversee two or three projects that are in the works that I'm, I'm producing uh, with other storytellers and I get to fund some of it and, and and give them finances to make their dreams become a reality. I would love to be able to do that, Rob. I mean, I talk to you about that all the time. I mean, that's that to me is the goal. Again, one in a thousand will get there and I doubt I will, but that is the goal and that's what I'm dreaming of. And Rob, I know as a, a creator, you've got kind of similar sort of things that yeah, you'd no, like to look, do as well. I, I mean, I totally, I'm right there with you. I mean, that's why I decided to have this um, Imagination Connoisseurs Film Festival that I'm launching this week on my own channel is I want to be able to, I've, I've now got people that watch my show sending me films that they've made and I, I want to do that. I mean, I've always wanted to make films my whole life. I have a movie that I produced and edited coming out. You'll be able to see that starting in February and and we got, you know, I was in your movie, which is I'm excited about because it's really good and working on the various shows that I'm working on and things like that. But I think one of the things that I have to say about doing these shows, John, is, you know, doing your show and doing my show and being on other people's YouTube shows and talking directly to the audience has kept me excited about my other creative work. So not only is doing mm. these shows fun and exciting, but it's also re-energized me 
you know, after 30 years of eking out minor successes and a living in Hollywood, you get ground down. Like Dude, you've won, when, you've won a Saturn Award. <laughs> uh, three, actually. Uh, that's right, but multiple Saturn the, Awards. Yeah, but, but, but still, John, there are times when you just want to get the F out. Yeah. You know, and like, yeah. like I, you bang your head against a wall for so long, but doing these shows and talking to people and the people that we've met and our viewers and interacting with them, it really has made me excited about keeping up the grind because people want want to see your content and having people that are supporting you. And there's going to be, I think, a lot of people when they watch your new documentary, they're going to be pretty surprised. It is a slick A-list in terms of production-wise and the content. It's really good. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on your show. It's a really good piece of work, and it's it covers a topic in a way that hasn't been covered before. And I think people are going to be surprised by it. And I think you, you'll be surprised at how much kind of good feedback you'll get. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone comes to you and says, well, kid, what do you got? What's your next movie going to be? And they'll pay for it this time. I mean, that that that's a big dream. And by the way, uh, and by the way, Rob is in my documentary. He's fantastic in it. But um, I, I should say this. Sometime in October, I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again here. In October, I'm going to be arranging a private screening, an online digital private screening for certain members of our Patreon community. Of course, we have a Patreon uh, here on the John Campus Show, and we got a bunch of you guys are, are already Patreon supporters. So we're going to uh, uh, try to organize something where we can select 20 to 30, as many people as I can get on Zoom, uh, 20 to 30 people, and we're going to do a private screening for a bunch of you guys uh, who are Patreon supporters of my movie, um, movie trailers, a love story. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. Anyway, enough self-promotion. Thank you very much, uh, Ronan, for giving me an excuse to do a bunch of self-promotion on my own movie. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, one of the most ridiculous arguments people tried to make on the show was how Batman taking Robin to a mob fight was no different than Spider-Man being an Avenger. The two are radically different. Rob, this is an argument I have with people all the time because, you know, listen, Ro Robin is a terrific example. And I don't want to go on this too much, but Robin is a terrific example of a character who works fantastically in the comic book pages and fantastically in animation. But the notion, but people saying they should bring Robin into it. Well, the notion of Batman bringing a 12-year-old child into <laughs> a machine gun fight with, with a bunch of mobsters, that's called child abuse. And it makes Batman an arse. Uh, and you cannot do it. I'm sorry, but Robin is a 12-year-old child with a stick. Eee! A very good 12-year-old child with a stick, but a 12-year-old child with a stick. And then some people would always come to me, Rob, whenever we talk about that. And, and I'd say there'd be some excitement. Look, if you want to do Robin, but he's 18 or 19 years old now, and you want to do that as Robin, where Batman isn't doing this with a child, that's fine with me too. But the, the two examples people would always bring up to me when, when we talk about Robin that way. One say, well, you like kick-ass and hit girl was a little, was a little child with no powers. Kick-ass is a satirical spoof comedy. It's meant to be ridiculous and dumb. If you want to make Batman a, a satirical spoof comedy, go ahead and do that. But that's what that is, so it's very different. But the other one people bring up all the time is Spider-Man. It's like, well, Spider-Man's just a, just a teenage kid. Spider-Man has the power of the gods. There, there, are, there are covers, there are Marvel covers of Spider-Man literally holding a tank above his head with all the Marvel characters standing on top of the tank. He's got this cosmic magic power that we call a spidey sense that can warn him of dangers. He's got superhuman speed and reflexes. He's got all that kind of stuff. 
He's he's a walking god. It's very different from a 12-year-old child with a stick. So, yes, there are two radically, radically different things. And before you think I'm trashing on the Robin character, I ain't. In the comic book pages, I love almost every iteration of Robin. I don't care if it's Damien, if it's Jason Todd. Yeah, I even had my appreciation for Jason Todd. Obviously, the big original Richard Grayson, still the best Robin of all time, or any of the others. I like all the iterations of Robin. I really do. But, but yeah, in a live action, to borrow Rob's phrase, verisimilitude-ish iteration of Batman, like say the Robert Pattinson's Batman or something, a Robin, a, an 11 or 12-year-old child running around with Batman, and but that just doesn't work. I don't know, Rob. Am I crazy? I mean, what are your thoughts? thoughts no, I mean, I, look, I, 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 I'm totally with you. And, you know, when you talk about Robin being 19, then he's Nightwing, so then he can, you know, be off <laughs> yeah. on his own. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it is it is a little, especially in this day and age, you know, when everyone is worried about this kind of representation and treating kids correctly. But, yeah, how do you justify that? I mean, maybe maybe Batman can say that, well, you know, it's I'm toughing you, toughening you up, kid. But it's still a little. Come on, <laughs> a young kid being brought into harm's way on a nightly basis. He should be in, he should be asleep and going to school in the morning. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Ethan Holgate writes. Uh, hey, John, the newest episode of The Boys, oh, which was crazy good. The newest episode of The Boys I thought was amazing. The show is just incredible, in my opinion. I thought it was so clever that they got Sean Ashmore, Iceman from the X-Men, to play a pyro character. Like, sup makes me wonder if uh, they tried to get Aaron Stanford, who did pay, play pyro, in the thing. Oh, my God. Rob, did you see the latest episode of oh, The Boys yet? Oh, I watched yet? it twice. Oh, yes, my God. Oh, my God. I this this just keeps getting more and more bonkers. First of all, one of my favorite lines in any television show, I actually tweeted this out. I won't tell you the context, but one of my I tweeted this line out, one of my favorite lines in any show ever is, "Hey, tell Butcher about the thick penis around your neck." I'm not going to tell you any context, but just that line is one of the greatest lines in television history. And I won't say what it is, but the the Stormfront reveal was so good. That big Stormfront reveal was oh. so good. And it's just, I'm like, me and Anne are sitting there watching going, what the hell are they doing? I, it's so good. Now, Rob, I know you haven't loved this season as much as I've loved this season, but what did you think about the last episode? I No, I really liked it. I, you know, I, I what it's setting up is, I can't believe there's only two more episodes left of this season. Because there, there's so many really interesting things in play. I think the next two episodes, I mean, for I've liked this season, but it just seemed a little slight compared to the last season. But they're leading up to some really, like, what's up with the fresca? And, like, what's going on? Like, are we going to have an army of, I don't want to spoil anything, but there, there's a lot of really, really compelling plot threads uh, in this. But the craziness... I mean, opening up with somebody putting someone's hand in someone else's head and then where that <laughs> leads to. I mean, it's just the stuff that they're – the show is so transgressive and it's so just skewering of America. And I, I'm really curious to see where it's going to go because they've, they've there's a setup for some – for the next four years of this show. I mean, I, I love it. Yeah. But, I, man, I, dude, I, there's just some craziness in this episode. 
I, I got to say, I, I think I prefer, I, I think this episode put it over the edge for me. I think I like this season even more than season one personally, but you're right. They are setting up a lot of stuff. It's going to be crazy to see what they do in the next couple of episodes. All right. Yeah. ZOMG ruler writes, my unholy trinity. Freddie got fingered, which is truly bad, but it's done by a good Canadian <laughs> kid. Uh, <laughs> Heartbreak Kid remake. Um, my wife, Anne, loves Heartbreak Kid. Miranda, my wife Anne loves that movie. Uh, and Alone in the Dark, uh, movie forty three, uh, which I, I hated. Uh, Catwoman, uh, in my opinion, which film is your number four? I remember you considering either Fifty Shades Darker uh, and Lady in the Water. Which one of the two would likely be your worst? Yeah, because to me, the four. By the way, I I wouldn't count like Freddie Got Fingered or Heartbreak Kid or things like that because none of those films had a lot of ambition. You know, like. Tom Green didn't have huge aspiration or ambition for that movie, and it wasn't significantly budgeted or anything like that. So, like, to me, the unholy trinity of the worst wide-release Hollywood-produced films of all time, Batwoman, um, uh, Battlefield Earth, and Highlander 2, those are the, the unholy trinity to me. <laughs> I think if there was a fourth spot, I might give it to Lady in the Water. Uh, that to me was Robin. I, I don't know if you remember Lady in the Water, but that to oh, I me, do. that to me is like a guidebook of how to truly make a horrible movie. Like every step of the way, a horrible, horrible, horrible movie. And only worse is the drama behind the scenes that led to that movie getting made like there, there's yeah. this great story you can read it in one of the books where they were talking about how like a, lady in the water was supposed to be released through disney initially and m night was really hot at the time and kind of was believing all of his own hype remember there was the big time magazine cover the next spielberg and he mm. was buying into his own hype pretty heavy and there's this infamous story about a dinner meeting between him and like one of the presidents of disney and she said to him, we're a little bit concerned about your script for Lady in the Water. For instance, just spitballing here, M. Night, maybe writing yourself into the movie as the world's greatest writer who is destined to save the world with his writing. Just spitballing here. Might come across as a little self-indulgent, you know, as well as some other problems, too. And apparently M. Night was furious at it and like vowed he would never work with Disney again say screw you I'm going to take my movie elsewhere and blah 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 and ultimately delivered unto us one of the worst abominations in the history of film so I would say I'm not committing to Lady in the Water being the number four but I, I'll put it there for now I would put it there for now I don't know Rob am I am I hating on Lady in the Water too much I, I truly thought it was like one of the worst films ever made especially coming no, off I, a director I, who made some really I, good movies I'm kind of right there with you. I mean, it's just, it's so wrongheaded in so many ways. Just, it just doesn't work. You're, it doesn't work. It doesn't work as a story. It doesn't work as a movie. It just doesn't work. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, basically kind of the secondary villain of the film is of course the film critic. The the, car the 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 movie has a film critic in it, who is of course the representation of every critic who ever said anything negative about M Night's work, and of course that film critic meets a gruesome and totally deserved end in the movie. It's like it's just such a it's such a self gratification move by M Night. It really was unfortunate. Anyway, um, 
Got time for just one or two more here. What with Rob still here? Michael Lynn writes, Hey, John, I just started watching Lucifer. Oh, I love that show so much. And currently on season three, I really enjoyed season one and two, but so far was a bit bored with three until the episode off the record about the news reporter. Oh, that one was really good. Um, wow. What an episode. Did the episode stand out to you? Thanks. Honestly, okay. It is a good episode, but I'd be lying to you if I said that that's an episode I walk around always thinking about. You're right, though, with the newspaper reporter finding out the secrets and all that kind of stuff. It was a very good episode, and I like the way they did it. And it was a little bit more complicated with the characters and obviously the connection to the therapist and all that. Good episode. I got to say, though, that I I really love season three. For whatever reason, season three, I I thought... I thought might be might be my favorite season. I'm not sure. I've been lucky. I mm-hmm. love four. I've loved five so far. Cannot wait for the second half of five, and I can't wait for season six. But right now, it's kind of all working for me. But you're right, Michael. That episode with the, re- the reporter stuff, very very good. Uh, Ankit Roy writes. I watched the haunt the haunting of Bly Manor trailer, and it upped the level for me on on point top performance it kick horror level up uh rob did you see the trailer for the haunting of fly manor i yes, thought that I, I thought the trailer was great like it's especially great. when the kid is like shh like it's like the kid's playing you're like oh no there's this creature's gonna get her and she just turns sternly to it shh i'm like yeah, okay no, it- i mean i what, what did you think about it I think it looks. I think it looks great, and I, it's based on a, yet another variation of the story, the Turn of the Screw, which I've always liked, and I, I, I think it looks fantastic. I mean, I love the Haunting of Hill House a lot more than I thought. There was really some audacious filmmaking there. The ghosts were great. I, I mean, I really liked it a lot. So this looks, this looks equally. I'm, I'm intrigued. I can't wait. Bring it on. All right. Last question we'll ask here with Rob still with us. Uh, film boss writes. Tenet is heading towards its fourth week at number one atop the, mes- the domestic box office. Low as it is, it's, it's approaching. It's about. To, it's going to cross three hundred million in the next couple of days. Um, and seeing how no lar- larger films are looking to open before November, it's entirely possible Tenet could stay number one with an asterisk, of course, for nine or more weeks if cinemas stay open. And yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the one saving grace here a little bit that that. Tenet can continue to claw away a little bit more of the money, a little bit. Like it crossed 200. That was a bit of a milestone. Then it crossed 250. It's about to cross 300. I mean, yeah. If it can continue to be the only game in town and theaters, in fact, do stay open, which is a massive question mark right now. But if it remains the only game in town and if the theaters stay open, yeah, like Rob, I think you and I talked about that the other day. I mean, like I think we could see a world where where Tenet could like cross 400, maybe 450 if it's allowed to have that environment to itself for long enough, but I mean, I I don't know. I mean, <laughs> but but it's true though, Rob, right? Like if it does like say number 1 for 9 weeks. We got to look back at that historically with a giant asterisk though, do we not? I think we always have to. And it's not like it's making the kind of money they wanted to make. I mean, it's it's a big asterisk because, yeah, it's it's. I mean, four hundred million that doesn't even break even with marketing costs and all that. Yeah. Nope. Not not bad. Not not bad considering we're in a global pandemic with everything as right. it is. But but not where they need it to be. Not and where those they need numbers to be. are coming up. COVID rates are going up again everywhere. Yeah. Well, it's because people won't do what they need to do. At any rate, 
Rob, as always, such a pleasure having you here with us uh, on the show, sir. In the meantime, before we have you back again tomorrow, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Well, you can follow me on Twitter, Burnett RM. Follow me on Instagram, my own name, Robert Meyer Burnett. Uh, and find me on my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, where I'm going to launch the first annual Intergalactic Imagination Connoisseurs Film Festival. You can get your entry form starting October 1st. Bring us tell, a movie. Tell people a little bit about it. Just a little bit about it. Well, it's open to anybody, and it's the first film festival ever in the history of film festivals that is also open to any extraterrestrials. And we will waive the entrance fee if you are from another planet or are, in fact, an alien. Of course, you have to provide proof that you are. And um, it's open to anybody. Anybody can make a film. And the the uh, final drop-dead deadline is December 1st. And it can be any length. It can be any kind of movie you want to make. And uh, it should be fun. And we're going to play them all on Christmas Day and give out awards probably on New Year's Eve. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for that. And thanks again for being here. And we'll talk to you again later, my friend. All right. I'll talk Take to care. You. All right, guys, with that was with the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Now, let's keep on moving here with today's topic. We still got about 20 minutes to go here. So let's head, hit it with Frankie G writing. Whoever is picking the songs for the boys deserves some kind of award. Also, don't be so. Oh, I don't be so closed minded. Uh, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but you're right. Like, I'm not always a huge fan of just picking random popular songs and dropping them in here and there. But the song selection which songs they decide to play and how they fit in with the scenes has been fantastic with the boys lately. I got to completely agree with you on that, Frankie G. Good observation. All right. David T. writes, wow, Jamie Chung uh, has an award level performance in the in episode six of Lovecraft Country. Yes, she absolutely does. It's impressive seeing somebody improve so much in their craft. Hopefully this can lead her to bigger and higher profile roles. I agree. I mean, Jamie is fantastic in that. I mean, and I've, I've been a big fan of Jamie for a long time, especially ever since I saw her in this little indie film called Eden which if you haven't seen go look it up it's it's a it's a power it's it gives you a glimpse of how good Jamie Chung is as an actress and she's always been able to get roles in some pretty high profile things but you know to me she just hasn't been given a lot of opportunities to really show off what she's got in that talent well and Eden gave her a little bit of a chance this Lovecraft episode absolutely did the whole episode was about her I hope she gets more opportunities from this because I mean we as film fans would do nothing but benefit from it All right, the Wakandan Forever writes hey John have you seen the Anaheim Disney tribute mural to Chadwick Boseman yes as a matter of fact we talked about it the other day I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't it's one of the most moving and beautiful things I've ever seen he still inspires please everyone find it Wakanda Forever beautiful uh, we brought it up on the show the other day they unveiled in downtown Disney uh, this mural of Chadwick Boseman with a young little kid who's clearly who's in a hospital gown and it's got like the little hospital ID thing on his wrist with the Black Panther mask on giving Chadwick Boseman the Wakandan forever sign and Chadwick looking down on him and doing the same thing. It is a beautiful moving image. If you haven't seen it, go look it up on Google images. Uh, you'll love it. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, mural. Absolutely. Uh, Pi Vic Q writes, what is your top five superhero TV shows of all time, either animated or live action? I don't do top fives just so you know, um, but I can tell you none of them would be animated. Although the new Harley Quinn one, Oh, the new Harley Quinn one has got to rank up there pretty good. Um, I, like, it's it's funny because my all-time favorite season, my all-time favorite single season of television, not show, but single season, is Heroes with Milo Ventimiglia. Um, 
you know, save the the cheerleader, save the world. That first season of Heroes is like one of my favorite seasons of television of all time, not just in the superhero genre, but of all time. Then the first couple of seasons of Arrow, I thought were fantastic. It fell off, but that those first couple of seasons are ranked right up there. Daredevil has to be up there. Obviously, Daredevil's got to be up there. Punisher is up there. Um, gosh, I, I don't know. I, I don't really, I don't really have a lot of time. But those are some of the ones that that uh, that popped to my mind that I really, really appreciated. All right, Pi Vi Q writes: uh, Since all Marvel movies are being pushed back, do you think Marvel is considering changing some scripts or reshoot some scenes uh, of some finished and in production movies like Black Widow or Eternals to adjust to certain situations, pandemic, Bozeman's death, etc.? No, I, I think I don't think that ha- will have anything to do with what they're doing. When you're done your movie, you got to be done with the movie and you got to move on. And that's after your, your reshoots are done and after. But once you're done your movie, you got to be done with your movie, right? You could spend forever like George Lucas was for a long time going back and making changes every other year to Star Wars. I mean, you could do that, but it's just a waste of time. So, no, I, I don't believe they're going to do that. I mean, I don't know for a fact that they're not, but my guess would be no. They, they, they would be kind of pointless and I don't think they'd be doing that, to be honest with you. Uh, all right. Next up, uh, the sock writes, apart the reason you stated about Ton. Apart from the reason you stated about Ron Howard directing, I feel like having a director of a different ethnicity really speaks to the inclusion and diversity we're striving for in the community. Saying only these people can direct this movie almost suggests that there is also that they're also only made for them. The whole point of movies like this is supposed to be embracing other cultures and learning about their history. I agree with that. Obviously, we're going back and talking about uh, the whole situation with um, Lang Lang and, and the movie being made by Ron Howard and all that kind of stuff. But while I completely believe that Ron Howard is a great pick to direct this, and I already went in ad nauseum as to why, you also at the same time have to appreciate and understand where Lulu's coming from. Because Lulu's coming from a position of, listen, for the longest time, people like me have been excluded and not been given opportunities that other people have been given because we're not white males. And so you've got to, while I do agree that Ron Howard is is a good choice, and I believe for a lot of different reasons, again, that we covered the other day, at the same time, you've got to at least try to understand and appreciate the position that she's coming from because she raises some good points, even though I don't, I ultimately don't agree, but you've got to understand the context from which she's coming from. And I I think that's important. I think that's important. All right. Uh, An anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, uh, do you think that the Bond producers have already begun development on Bond 26, working on the screenplay and casting the new Bond actor, hopefully Henry Cavill, aiming for a late 2022 release date to commemorate the 60th anniversary of the film series? I do not. I Again, I don't know that they're not doing that. I don't know that they're not engaging in that or getting close to doing that. I don't know, but my guess is no. They're focused right now on this next Bond film, the final Bond film of uh, of Daniel Craig's really great run as Bond. Uh, again, he is my all-time favorite Bond. He is the perfect hybrid of the suaveness of a Roger Moore Bond with the badassness of a Sean Connery Bond melded into one. Uh, I just really like the way they've gone with that. So that's kind of my take on it. All right, next up, Vincent N. writes, 
Bond 26 question part two. I guess that was anonymous. Do you think it's even possible in the current global pandemic for the Bond producers and studio to have Bond 26 written, casted, filmed and released by October or November of 2022? I think it wouldn't be a huge. I think it would be a huge opportunity wasted if they don't know. There's no need. There's no need. And you don't rush. See, here's the thing. I don't think you rush a movie and and rush to get a movie out just because, oh, it's the 60th anniversary. Well, a better thing then would have been to, say, bump this Bond movie to 2022. You don't go out there and at a neck break speed rush. Well, as you're still trying to get this one movie out, be rushing and making another movie and all. It's You don't do that just for what? The novelty of... It's the 60th anniversary. Well, yeah, there'll be a 65th anniversary and there'll be a 70th anniversary and there was a 50th anniversary. And I really don't think you do that just to kind of meet that novel, that novelty. Uh, I don't think that's the way to go. So no. And and on top of that, I don't think they'd, it'd be possible because you got to remember, not only did the pandemic push off a lot of movies release dates, it pushed off a lot of movies that were supposed to go into production. So now you got all these other movies that were supposed to have been in production this past six months. Now they're getting pushed. And so you're talking about filming another Bond movie in like December of 2020, January, February, March of 2021. But you're going to have a hard time getting people involved because so much stuff has already been pushed there. So I don't even know if it would be possible. Again, I'm not saying that's factual. I'm just saying my guess would be there's no need to rush something out just to meet the novelty of the 60th anniversary. Plus, I think it would be from a practical logistics point of view, I think it'd be very difficult to pull off. All right. Gabriel writes, one of two. I was having a discussion with a friend about the future of independent filmmaking, and we have two different opinions. Well, it's always good to have two different opinions, uh, and we have two different opinions. I think independent filmmaking will uh, will thrive in the streaming wars, as this comp as this companies will be eager to buy new content. No need for the extra cost of theatrical release involved. He seems to think that only established filmmakers or big budget uh, tentpole films will get their content brought out or bought out by this by this companies, and that independent films will die in festivals. What say you? I gotta say, Gabriel, I kind not that I a hundred percent agree with your friend, but I lean towards your friend, like. Put this way, I was talking to when I was doing my initial research for my movie, um, uh, movie trailers, a love story. There it is again. Give me an opportunity to bring that up. When I was doing my initial research for it, I spoke to a producer of an independent film company that has put out some movies you would recognize their names. And I remember asking him, like, as far as indie trailers go, like, has the internet made it a lot easier because before before the internet, right? If you had a small little indie film, good luck on getting anybody to, to find or watch your trailer because a lot of these small indie films wouldn't have the money necessarily to pay for, um, uh, wouldn't have the money to pay for getting their trailer put in front of a big movie in a theater, right? I mean, at least it was more rare, right? So I asked this producer, um, 
do you think that the internet didn't make it a lot easier now? Did it level the playing field? Because all your trailers, the big tentpole films, the little indie films, they're all got their trailers on YouTube. So did it level the playing field? And what this producer told me was, no, it didn't help us at all. If anything, it just made the fight for attention even more brutal. Trying to get the attention because, you know, everybody rushes to watch like the new Star Wars trailer or the new DC trailer or the new MCU trailer. Like everybody will rush to watch those. And it's in the midst of all that, of all that noise that you're trying to get attention for like your little thing that's in YouTube that's getting buried by millions of other pieces of content every day. It's very difficult. And my guess is if things were to all move over to digital, I don't know that it'll make things any worse for small indie films. So that's why I don't know that I agree with your friend. I don't think it'll make things worse, but I don't see it making things much better. Because again, it's still the idea of the fight for attention. And what are going to be the films that get attention? The films with Chris Hemsworth. The films directed by Christopher Nolan. The films with Margot Robbie. The films with Denzel Washington. These are still going to be the things that get everybody's attention as opposed to like... Um, um, these are going to be things that, that are going to have... You're going to have to fight to get the attention... For all, for all the stuff, whether it's on streaming platform or whatnot, that's still going to be the issue. And so, no, things going to streaming is not going to create some kind of digital utopia for movies like mine. It's not. Movies like mine or bigger ones that are still like small indies, because mine's micro indie, like micro, micro indie, but are still going to face those same challenges. Desperately trying to get any type of awareness and attention in the midst of a lot of other bigger noise. So do I see the move to digital hurting indie stuff? No, I don't think it'll be hurt anymore, but I don't think it's going to be helped very much by it either. I don't think it's going to be helped very much either, but that's just my guess. We'll see. Uh, the 10 second Tom writes, Hey, master of fun, uh, wonder and filth gang. Jason Bateman is slowly but surely becoming my favorite actor. I love Jason Bateman. Always have. I, I want to see him branch out and be a superhero in a movie. My choice is Booster Gold. He would nail that. Who would you guys pick? Hi, I'm Tom. Well, I mean, again, I don't care. X actor and X role. I don't care. So I'm not going to try to cast Booster Gold. I'm going to surprise you. I don't think... Because I love Jason Bateman. By the way, if any of you guys have still not seen the recent Jason Bateman, um, oh, who co-stars in that with him again? Rachel McAdams. If you guys haven't seen the recent Jason Bateman, Rachel McAdams comedy Game Night, oh my God, you've got to watch it. It's so much fun. It's fantastic. Anyway, I love Jason Bateman. I Again, if they announced tomorrow that he was cast to play superhero, I, I'm in. I'm in because he's Jason Bateman. He's super talented. But I got to admit, if I'm a casting director, I don't know that I I don't know that he's a fit for a superhero movie. And he was already kind of in a superhero movie in um, what was the Will Smith one called again? Um, not not Hitch. Um, what was the Will Smith superhero movie again? Not John Smith. Uh, not John Doe. Hancock. Thank you. Thank you, Yellow Flash. Hancock. Uh, Jason Bateman was already in a superhero film, and I remember that Jason Bateman was in it, but I froze on the name of the movie. Anyway, um, but I don't know. Honestly, wouldn't be my first choice. I'd be on board if they announced it because it is Jason Bateman, and he's talented, and that's all I care about. But would I cast him? 
Probably not, but I agree with you, uh, Tom. I, I love Jason Bateman. Absolutely love him. The dude is amazing. All right, the Wakanda Forever writes, uh, Hey, John, I just want to tell everyone to have a great day. Love you guys, Wakanda Forever. Well, thank you so much, Wakanda. It's always great to have somebody come in and say something nice to everybody else. It's always a good way to start the day. Thanks for that, man. All right, John Argoat Rodriguez writes, For anyone who wants to watch The Master of Fun and Wonders free enterprise, it's on Amazon Video if you have a Prime membership. Again, it's got like the lead guy from Will and Grace, whose name I never knew. Um, and it's got William Shatner, good Canadian kid, honestly. Uh, free Enterprise. We do talk about Free Enterprise a little bit in my movie as well. But yes, if you want to go and watch Robert's film, Free Enterprise, it is available to go and watch. Thank you for raising awareness about that, John. Appreciate that, man. Nate Dog writes, I just watched an insane little film called Utopia. I've been seeing the trailers for this, and I'm very fascinated by it. Uh, starring John Cusack and Rain Wilson. You don't see a lot of John Cusack these days. It's probably John Cusack's best role in years. I'll never see I'll never see rabbits quite the same way again. Yeah, Anne and I, I can't remember if it was Amazon or Apple TV Plus or HBO Max, but we were watching one of them, and we had a couple of ads for this Utopia come up. And it's like, that's Rain Wilson. That's John Cusack. And it looks lower budget, but you know, it's Amazon. I think it was on, on Amazon, but I, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I was fascinated by it. The trailers really got my attention. So I'm with you, Nate dog. I am, I'm down to check this show out. I want to, I want to check this little thing out. Um, oh yeah. And you said right in your message from Amazon. There you go. All right. Nate dog also writes. A movie I used to hate but now love is Point Break. Dude, I've always loved Point Break. Point Break. If there was no Point Break, there would be no Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious, the first Fast and Furious movie, is a plot point by plot point, shot for shot remake of Point Break. Not remake, ripoff. The first Fast and the Furious movie is an absolute, complete ripoff of Point Break. Plot point by plot point, from the beginning of the movie right to the end of the movie, it's a complete ripoff of Point Break, which is why I never liked Fast and the Furious. Until you got into Fast and Furious 4. I didn't like Fast and Furious 1, 2, or 3, and I hated the first Fast and Furious because it was such a ripoff of the glory that is Point Break. I love that movie. Uh, the acting is pretty awful. No, it's not the acting. Johnny Utah? Bodie? Are you kidding me? It's great. The acting is pretty awful, but I've come to realize it's actually a pretty damn cool movie. Plus, it's got two things I love. Surfing and tons of action. Do you have a movie that you used to hate but now love? Well, I mean, not generally, but the one story I always go back to when people ask me about maybe movies I didn't like but now I really appreciate, I always go back to one, and that was Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. The first time I saw Inglorious Bastards, I didn't dislike it. I hated it. Like, I hated it the first time I saw it. And then about a year later, I was on a date with a girl, and we ended up back at my place. We, wanted, we were going to grab something to eat, bring it back to my place, watch a movie. And she wanted to watch Inglorious Bastards. So like, hey. Guest choice. And we put on Inglorious Bastards. And I don't know if I was just in a bad mood the first time I saw Inglorious Bastards or what, but I'm sitting there and watching it the second time, like, this movie's awesome. Why did I hate it? Like I I that never happens. That never happens, but it happened that time. And so that's one I normally go back to. But Point Break, dude, I love that movie. All right, Ashley M. writes, My local AMC theater is finally opened. Went to see Empire Strikes Back, and it was a, and it was great to see on the big screen. It was great to get out again. My fiance, my fiance and I couldn't help but think, what makes the original trilogy uh, better than the new movies? 
Um, oh, well, I mean, listen, Ashley, that first of all, that is awesome. That you got a chance to go out to the theaters. You had a chance to go out and have some fun and watch um, watch a great classic like that on the big screen. I got to get out and go do that. It's been a couple of beats since I got to see one of the original Star Wars movies on the big screen. I should go do that. But in asking what makes the original trilogy better than the new movies, that's a four hour long documentary series, you know, to, to do everything <laughs> makes the original trilogy better than everything in Star Wars that has come since. Uh, but but there's a lot. There's an awful lot. But I'm glad you had that experience. And thanks for sharing it with us, Ashley. All right. The Wakanda Forever writes. Um, Captain Planet, he's our hero. I mean, we were just talking about Captain Planet a few weeks ago. Gonna take pollution down to zero. We're the Planeteers. You can be one too. Save our planet is the thing to do. The choice is yours. Uh, John, which are you? Earth, wind, uh, water, fire, or heart? We Wakandans are all heart. I'm not gonna pretend like I remember the show at all. Honestly, when I think of Captain, um, of Captain Planet, let me see if I can bring it up here. When I think of Captain Planet, um... I instantly go to Don Cheadle uh, playing Captain Planet. That's what I go to on on uh, Saturday Night Live. Don Cheadle is Captain Planet on Saturday Night Live. I don't know if you guys remember that, but he just kept turning everybody into trees. When I think of Captain Planet, that's where my 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 mind goes to. So that's where I'm at. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, next one up. Oh gosh, let's see if I can pronounce this one properly. Okay, Alex. Hammervik Owen. Oh, that wasn't as hard as I thought. Hey, John, is it bad that I've always wanted David O. Russell to make a movie with Shia LaBeouf and Miles Teller as the leads just to hopefully hear about all the unsaid fights? Love the show and appreciate all your hard work, my friend. Yeah, listen, D David O. Russell. I was thinking about David O. Russell the other day because and just to be clear, I've met David O. Russell, but I don't know David O. Russell. Right? Let's just be very clear about that. I know nothing about him, really, other than I really like most of his movies. Not all of them, but most of his movies I quite like and quite appreciate. But I was thinking about this the other day because there have been stories about, like, literal physical altercations, physical altercations that David O. Russell has gotten in with talent. And, like, that shit won't do. You, you can't do that. You can't do. I mean, that's not funny. I mean, that's just straight up not funny. And, you know, you hear stories all the time, too, about like on certain stuff, like directors would literally like pick up chairs and throw them at people. It's like that's that's not cool. And so that that could be things. And like we have Shia and Miles. But listen, just as far as a movie goes, a David or Russell directed film with two of the honestly, I believe two of the great actors going today and Shia LaBeouf and Miles Teller. I'd be down for watching that movie, but yeah, I, I, it would be, it would be very interesting to hear what kind of stories, um, uh, to hear what kind of stories, uh, would come out of the set of a movie like that. That would be interesting to see. All right. Last question of the day. And then we got to wrap things up here, guys. Ryan Loner writes, the Witcher has had to replace an actor because of COVID scheduling issues. Yeah, they had one actor who was going to be playing another Witcher that's a longtime friend of Geralta Rivia, played by Henry Cavill. But that actor, because of the delays, have ha has had to back out because of another engagement, and they just hired a new actor to take his place. Maybe they should just film the whole thing in masks. I can't see anything going wrong with digitally removing something from Henry Cavill's face. <laughs> yeah, right? What could go wrong? 
with just put the mask on Henry's face and we'll replace it digitally. Like it's like, yeah, couldn't go. What could go wrong? As easy as a mustache. What could possibly go wrong? All right, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campia Show, thank you guys so much for being here, making the show part of your day. Listen, there are still a handful of other questions still to come uh, from people like uh, uh, Schnepp for the Win, Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Jackson, R. Lee, uh, Chris Foster, and a handful of others. Don't worry, guys. When we get to the live questions part of the show tomorrow, we'll start off with your live questions and we'll get your questions out of the way first. So don't worry about that. You sent in the questions. They will get addressed. Just hang in there with us. Guys, special thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here. And once again, guys, if you haven't done so already, make sure you go and click on that subscribe button. Become a subscriber to our YouTube channel. Keep up to date with all the stuff that we got going on here. Thank you to all of you for spending a part of your day here with us. I'm very cognizant of the fact that that's a huge honor that you would spend some of your time with us here today. So thank you very much for that. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live questions because you did two things. Number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. And number two, you saw supported this channel while you did it and all of us here thank you very much for it all right guys that will do it for me for today thanks a lot for being here my name's john campion and until next time my friends bye bye <laughs>